So I'm suggesting the beginning of uh, cultivation is uh, faith, sense of uh, recognition there must be there is a way out of this tangle and uh, and listening, reflecting, hearing teachings, considering the Buddha offers a way, guidelines for us to individually formulate Notice uh, that when in that first um, sutta, the Dhammachakapavatana sutta, where the Buddha expounds the middle way, expounds the Four Noble Truths, he presents that, but the, the person has the realization, has a very simple realization, not really about the Four Noble Truths exactly, or the middle way exactly, but all, the, all that is arising is of the nature to cease, to pass. Which is not really a logical conclusion one would derive from the previous teaching. Mm. But it's a heart realization. And we get it. It's not just intellectual uh, deduction, but something suddenly strikes the heart, some message about this process. Things welling up, pressure, craving, grasping, attachment, identity, self. It seems a lot, lot, but it comes down to when you take in the, that something occurs, that, oh, oh, it's that, that's the point. Mm. All this tension is built up through not recognizing the life is not a matter of one thing after another, it's constant, constant flux, shifting, waves. Then you're entering the realm of direct experience that's known through the heart or through chitta. Mm. Which is different from the way we construct things with our thinking minds or mano, manas. Manas, manovinyana, mind consciousness, that which is able to construct time, space, identity, notions, symbols, concepts. But this isn't happening there. Realization doesn't happen there. And so we get so used to using that system of deduction because, of course, all our teachings come in words and ideas, but realization comes from somewhere else. Something assesses that, opens up from its clinging, its grasp positions. Realization, it arrives. You don't formulate it, it arrives. So, how do we turn to that 
awareness of that realization potential, which I'm calling heart, chitta. Doesn't mean that's all it has, it has that, but it also has profound um, ignorance, mistakes. But it's not completely deluded, otherwise, we'd never be anywhere. It's not completely wise, otherwise, we wouldn't need to practice. So it's kind of mm, blotchy. Mm. Fundamentally, it's it's reflective. Just reflects, it reveals, it shines back, it doesn't comment, it just lets you see. This aspect is the awareness aspect, jnana. And then there's various sensitivities that arise, I mean, affected, reactive, interpreting, entangled, reflexes, things start to get blurred and shaky. Reflective potential still remains there, just as if you have a, you know, a lake, it's always reflective, no matter how turbulent the water is, it's still, it's still reflective. You throw rocks in it, still you see images reflected in it. Ideally, it's still, but if it, even if it's not still, it's still somewhat reflective. Although we tend to get drawn towards all the splashes and the things occurring in it. So then our, our view is looking at the wrong thing. Or perhaps over, over-focused on phenomena and not on the knowing. The awareness. And this balance between the awareness which is and the phenomenal which arises, passes. And so the very simplest way of, of holding that in balance is to be awareness knows this feeling, this mood, this irritation, this sensation comes and goes, it's vibrant. And we're holding experience with an awareness and removing through that steady sustaining of focus, removing the interference of I should be, I could be, I'm not, he is, they are, why do I have to, all this turbulence, not throwing more rocks in the water so it will calm by itself. Mm. I was mentioning the other day is how this sense of lifting one's attention from the phenomenal to the knowing of phenomenal. We can see and we can know we're seeing. We can be aware when my eyes are open I see shapes and forms. Or I could be looking at the shapes and forms, getting involved with them, and liking and disliking. Or I could notice I see shapes and forms. So. Just that doesn't deny the existence, it just takes the edge off of phenomenal experience, which can be extremely poignant and uh, uh, arousing, attention grabbing. One feels grabbed by it. And a lot of that around, isn't it? It's that lifting. Mm-hmm. 
And I use the image of um, a certain revealing of a pattern comes through that. I use the image of the fort on the hammer wood, which if you walked around there, you probably wouldn't notice it because it's just a series of furrows, deep furrows, ditches, and uh, in in the ground, you wouldn't notice just some kind of ding, you know, and then a slight mound. And so people didn't notice that for thousands of years. It was probably done about 500 BC. <laughs> Iron Age fort, maybe maybe 300. Nobody knew it was there. You walk around, there's trees. What do you see? I see the trees, I see the heather. I see the deer. What fort? I don't see any fort. In 1949, when they got aerial photography, and they're flying over, like 100, 200 feet up, so, wow, there's that pattern on the ground. Regular pattern. That's man-made. That's a regular rectangular patterns and furrows. That's an R&H fort. <laughs> that lifting... You see the pattern. Can't get down on the ground, fort disappears. Right. And yet we would always tend to follow the, uh, the sense in which we know something by and be very much driven into things, scrutinize the details. That's. Uh, it's generally the mode we use for symbols and concepts. The visual organ, which is very good at pinpointing, pointing down. You know, if you look at your visual focus, you'll see clearly about less than 5%. The rest of it's just the blur, and you see this one detail. That's the visual focus. And the thinking mind likes to do that too. Pick up, you know, you don't get engrossed in it, reading something. Engrossed in that. That's that organ. But I would suggest that in a time when there's no writing or very little writing, no symbols, no concepts, speech, heard, in presence, animate life, everything is animate. Not just you, your body, the animals, even the trees, the spirits, stavers, everything is alive and vibrant. You you sense it. You sense it. Mm. You don't go up close, you sense it, because there's nothing but that. And you sense it primarily through your body. Or your skin. Notice the only sense organ that doesn't reach into things is the skin. It's just receptive. The eye probes into things, the nose selects things, even the ear focuses on particular sounds. It's the skin just receptive. Mm-hmm. Extremely sensitive very refined medium, you can sense things with your skin that you can't even see with your eyes. It's so, it's extremely acute. We don't use it. 
What is it's receptive, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that we, um, you know, can use our skin to deal with mental phenomena, but just substituting the whole idea of witnessing, scrutinizing from that visual mental construction to something more tactile and heartfelt. That kind of mode of awareness. When you, mm-hmm, you linger on something and pick it up. That's the way the skin works. And you put your hand on something it feels like. The receptive, it's a certain stillness lingers. And that's the function of sati, mindfulness. It sits on something and listens to it. How is this? I think this is just a helpful way for me, anyway, to get a sense of what I'm witnessing, mindful awareness, how it operates. Because then there's a certain calm in that. And also a reference, not to a set of other ideas, but to this primary quality of, primary quality of jnana. Mm. As it's mm, presented. First, uh, foundation establishment of mindfulness what is mindful of the body just to the extent to which there is full jnana and clear comprehension. Just that. We're not just that. There is body. So it's kind of clearing away the details to something much more primary. It's a lifting and then what's the whole picture here? Notice that there's no instruction to focus on any particular point in the body for mindfulness of body. One is mindful of the body walking, standing, sitting, leaning, scratching, eating, defecating, reclining, sitting. So the whole body, which of course is covered with skin, Can you move around like that? Can you listen like that as you move around? If you can't physically feel anything through your skin, it's not touching anything, notice all the space around me. That's quite nice, it's quite agreeable. Because my head is wedged full of stuff. And all kinds of programs and memories. It's just so enjoyable just to feel the experience of openness, letting the heart tune into that. Oh, that's that's not boring. That's actually fresh. Whereas for the thinking mind, emptiness is something that's a bit confused. Like, what am I supposed to do? Think about, what's the answer? Fill it up. Whereas for the heart, the sense of space is actually refreshing, easeful.
Ah, a kind of pleasure that's born of renunciation, of having less stuff. And the space speaks, tells you about freshness, openness, the comfort, the happiness of that, the gentle happiness of that. And it's just so important to to recognize that element as an asset. Because you know life is so is so dense. Hmm. So you know, even in my own dwelling and naturally I get books and things and things are useful but always when I take something I always think I can either have this thing or I could have the space this thing occupies space which is more important this thing or the space you can't have both Sometimes, yeah, the thing is more important than the space. All the time, no, the space is more important than the thing. How it goes. Otherwise, it just builds up and up and up and up and up. You go to people's houses, it's full of stuff. Most of which is never used. So it's been left on the wall for the last 15 years. <laughs> stuff, stuff, stuff. Yeah, but the space element, just to how valuable that is, because that's where your mind doesn't have to be occupied with tidying it, fiddling, cleaning it, fixing it, mending it, repairing it. What well, you know, no mental action. Space just, uh, you know, that, that outbreath relief. And just as a, as a kind of calming medium. So certainly in my own time I don't have so many duties. I have, I have enough to begin on with. <laughs> but then I do find that more and more the inclination is just to just sit there. You know, I've got half an hour or so to spare, just, just sit there. enjoy the space, freshen up, let that process take care of itself. I don't have to thrash around dealing with my thoughts, just take in the space, the thoughts mumble and mutter, keep turning, they begin to fade out. There's something really bothering me. If it is, okay, now the thing is more important than space, give it some attention. But attention one uses carefully as a useful tool, not crammed full of every dang thing under the sun for the sake of habit. Yes, I don't need to attend to that. This I do need to attend to. Okay. This has to be then given full, deep, penetrative attention. Mm. But then, based upon that, 
quality of mindfulness that holds things, body, feelings, sensitivities, heart itself with its moods and blotches and spaces and suffusions and the phenomena that arise holds them all against the backdrop of just enough to bring this into the light of clear knowing or jnana and full comprehension reviewing it sensing it handling it what is the meaning of this how is this and again, in the first base of Sampajana, one knows this is a rising, rising up. This is a risen. It's welling up. It's passing. It's past. Back to that same wave phenomenon. Focus on the wave of that. Get less grabbed by the flaring up of distress, passion, fascination. This too will pass. It's so important to have that background awareness. As it said in the Sutta, one who cultivates one who cultivates this sign, this quality of anicca, relativity, impermanence, change. There's a revealing of not-self. One who cultivates this, lingers in, dwells in this perception, this relativity of impermanence, of shifting, of changing, there's the understanding not-self. This understanding of not-self, this is liberation here and now. And Gutra, Book of the Nines, Sutta One, and so forth. You can look it up. Very simple. Boom, boom. But of course, many of those uh, phenomena become objects. Like many things we just let pass. The ones that really seem to have lingering in them are called, are like me or you, or him, her. That's one very strong snagging point in which human beings, by and large, are mulling over their experience of other people and a force of themselves. Two phenomena arise, self-criticism, and criticism of others. (laughs) What happens? Some perception arises, it's too stressful to handle. Heart feels very stressed by that, and it drops it. It goes into a panic or a fixation of some kind, and then goes up to thinking mind then, deals with it, she's one of those, he's that, I told him this, they're never like that, I'm always this way, I can't be that way, it's all pointless, 
so forth, it goes into conceptual views that solidify oneself and others in the world of abstract realities. We're dealing with ghosts, what she was three years ago, what he said to me yesterday, what I could be if I wasn't like this. And I never could be because I always have been dealing with world concepts, virtual realities. And there the tangle begins. There's no way out of that. In itself, it just tangles. Because it has no capacity to lift and witness. This is stressful. What's the origin of that stress? Mm. Ill will, fear, mistrust. Mm. What's the origin of that stress? You know, craving for something I want, want to have it, and he wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> mm. What's the origin of that stress? You know, I tried and I couldn't do it. Uh, so this kind of pressure comes up. Mm-hmm. So this view, and then if we get into, she's this, he's that, he always was, I can't be this. It just, this is the, the view that contributes to stress and dukkha. So that lifting, there's a factors here. There's uncertainties, there's unpleasant feeling, there's perceptions, there's memories, there's wavering, there's irritation. Yes, yes, that's true. Mm. What's needed here? Dealing directly with the actuality of what's happening in the animate, living, responsive condition. Because those ghosts can never respond to you. They just keep going. It's just like shadow boxing. They can't respond. They are the projections of one's unrealized emotional, perceptual struggles. They can't possibly find a way out because they are the problem. No, it's not to dismiss them. So what are they coming from? Uncertainty. Can't manage too much. Struggling. Uh, can't find my ground. Really cries of the heart. People don't listen. She's like this, he's like that. I can't, I not. Oh, dukkha. Therefore, one gets irritable, fearful, defensive, mistrustful, closes down. Could those cries be be sensed in awareness? And heart awareness, not just a clinical observation, because the nature of chitta is also 
sympathetic, it resonates, feels like this, just sometimes there's that sense, feeling what you're feeling, letting it happen, begins to pulse, throb, remove, fade. And the fading of that, oh, I get it, I've been hanging on, has been hanging on to something that I think somebody else said. <laughs> hanging on to an occasion, one occasion that occurred three years ago. Hanging on to one particular behaviour pattern and ignoring the rest. Noticing that, you know, he always turned up late rather than the fact that he kept precepts. Noticing that she was always careless about doing a chore rather than the fact that she was making a big commitment and keeping the eight, ten precepts. You know, wow. That's what you call wrong attention. You get focused on what the mind can rivet down upon some particular piece and lose the big picture. Big picture, human being, just like me. Subject to ignorance, just like me. The empathic awareness. Okay, we're into that. Feel it. And then so sensing that. What happens in your body? Some of the tension goes out. Breathing in, breathing out, the feeling passes. Mm. It's something we can kind of encourage to cultivate. Very much so. Now, to get our life as in a community, because naturally we're all, we come in here with our defilements and ignorance and confusions and I'm going to, you know, just finding fault with each other isn't going to help it. But we also come with, with our parami, our virtues, our strengths, our commitments, our resolution. Let's always hold the two together, get the big picture, internally and externally, in yourself, also in terms of other people. Hmm. And it's so easily lost, I, you know, could bear in mind that just in my early days of practice, I'd come in more or less off the streets, from living a fairly freewheeling life, and then just propped up in a monastery, and, okay, and they put me in this little hut on my own, nobody to talk to, conversation was not allowed, nothing to go to, nothing to do, just sit there all day and night. Hmm. Fairly deep end. That went on nearly three years. Um, During that time I can't remember a single moment when I felt any sense of self-respect. Or Odita. Mostly, my mind's restless. I can't make it work. 
got to do more meditation, got to get it this, shouldn't be this way. And then it's too noisy, frogs are croaking, crows are croaking, people in the village are noisy, fault finding, myself, others. Never a moment actually saying, you're doing good here, you've given up a whole wadge of sense pleasures, gone down to a life of living in a seven foot by seven hut, walking up and down inside it, not even you know, cooped up, and sort of just keeping at it. Seemed to be worthy of some remark of <laughs> you know, they never noticed it. You know. Because it was all about focusing attention on particular points and not lifting and getting a big picture of what the heart is trying to do here. In fact, there is such a thing that arose miraculously a sense of faith, commitment, arose. I didn't decide to have it, it arose. That must be respected. The willingness to make deep commitment must be respected. The perseverance to stay with it as best one can must be respected. This is cultivating, this is nourishing the soil, isn't it? Without that, how are you going to get the food for the journey? And you're not really referring to that which can can experience realisation. The overview, that which has overview, this is an unskillful factor. This is a skillful factor. Right view. There are factors that are skillful, give rise to fruition, fulfilling. There is goodness, there is giving, there is worth of giving, there is offering, there is sacrifice, giving up. These lead to fruitions because they are acts of the heart. And with acts of the heart, we cultivate them. This is time when we particularly pay deep attention to clearing out any residues that may be lingering. Some people naturally, something a bit stressful, they're still feeling affected by their parents or their people they knew ten years ago, still feeling a bit affected by that or you know, mind returns to that, feeling fearful or upset or irritated, and then project that around them. We need to clean out residues, the way we perceive each other, that manifest. Otherwise, your own heart is cramped. not just doing other people a favour. If the heart cannot do forgiving, 
rising out of the tribunal of who's right and who's wrong and you can't rise out of that you can be living in a law room a law court for the rest of your life and you will be on trial as well the open place compassion We had here a few years ago a fellow who turned up frequently, quite devoted, very devoted person, big heart, but had real problems with depression and drink, so the two go together. So he tried, and after a while he thought something would go, get lost in depressive moods, and he'd go out and drink. So he stayed in the monastery and he disappeared out of the pub one evening or something next morning gets a uh uh-huh so okay this is not acceptable he said you're right it's not acceptable yeah go and sort it out come back when you're ready when you can hold it together okay John I'll do my best go off six months later comes back okay I've sorted it try again spend another two or three months eventually down the pub again, hit a wobbly patch, couldn't pull out of it. Okay, so look, get a handle on this long <laughs> Yeah, right, try. Goes off again. Comes back a year later. This went on for a while. But every time you come back, you think, you know, I have to see the good in this person. Because they they don't see it. Therefore I have to see it. And um, they've already lost faith in themselves. If I lose faith in them, that's of no benefit to them or to me. So, okay, try again. Okay, just try again. You see the thought? You see, understand the thought? Try again. And each time just cleaning off the last impression. Make an effort, try again. Lose it, try again. And in some ways it didn't work out because eventually he drank and he died of drink. But still, you know, in terms of practice, want to keep giving that that quality where the other person picks it up or not at least you pick it up you don't get stingy impatient hold grudges caricature people ah, he's a useless, he's a dropout, he's a drunkard you don't do that does you no good, does them no good it's not skillful and you'll do it to yourself comes back that's the law when you're entering this territory the territory of the heart the law is what you give out comes back because we're in an animate universe it means what you touch touches you you throw the ball it bounces back mm-hmm. animate is responsive and we've lost that 
conceptual view. There's nobody there. Just do what you like, no payback. And we're looking at the consequences of that, you know, in terms of our relationship to the planet. Just a lump of dirt, do what you like with it. It's just accessible in terms of money. How much is anything worth? Money. Symbols, concepts, tokens. Nothing has any value other than its ability to become a source of power. Pure madness. Doesn't have any good. Intoxication with the inanimate view. No responsiveness to sentiency, including one's own. This is... So in terms of our cultivation, then that lifting, that reviewing, and then what is the right intention or right purpose, samasankapa, purpose built on renunciation. Less is the new more. Less clutter. What you don't need. You don't need this that you don't need that memory, you don't need that habit, you know, you know, just keep that sense going, renunciation, non-cruelty, no insensitivity, no scorning, no despising, no belittling, respect, non-harming, no violation, no abuse, no domination. No using of power. Get that resolve going. Intention comes before attention. Attention can do all kinds of crazy things. Get fascinated with this and that and this and that. Get lost in unskillful attention. Attention, manasikara, comes second. First thing is be attentive, pamada, a pamada, wake up to intention. Be one-pointed on one's intention. And this intention trajectory bears great fruit. Because once you cultivate that intention, you get the feedback, you get the payoff. You cultivate generosity, you feel happy. It just comes. You don't have to say, give me happiness, it just bounces back. You cultivate virtue, you feel respect. You tune into that. You feel sensitive. You care for others. It just happens. That innate sense, and it's not contrived, it's not out of social obligation, it's not a matter of rules and laws, it's an innate sense. Everybody has it. 
interesting enough, once the Buddha taught these um, first disciples in the deer park, when they were, had complete realization, the next thing that happened was a son of a merchant came by, probably came out of Varanasi, which is nearby. Yassa, his name was. Just come out of some some party, been at a party the night before, some big rave. Varanasi. <laughs> he came to and he's groggy looking at everyone's total shambles. All the minstrels are kind of lying around drooling and drooping and dishevelled and you know what it's like. If you've ever been to one of those. <laughs> you know, oh my god, this is awful. <laughs> They were, they were doing it in those days too. Who can get the most wrecked <laughs> and still kind of hold it together? The pastime of the youth is to how to get as wrecked as possible. So he thought, oh my goodness, this is awful. So he runs off to the Buddha in the deer park and says, this is awful. It just explains this terrible thing. And the Buddha says, yeah, well, you know. And he gives him this teaching. So the first teaching says is, cultivate generosity. Because, you know, to be an arahant, <laughs> you know, it does not that mystically profound. What does he mean? He means go to the heart. What is the heart like doing? That sense of how do we meet other people, really meet people. You say, you offer, don't you? Offer a gesture, offer you a shake, and give them something. Little. Hello, we, we, we've connected through that. Very fundamental human quality. People do it all the time. And it's just agreeable. A bond of warmth is established. And you feel good. Getting this sense, once you've tapped into that, and the happiness of that, then what comes next is you know, morality because now you, you don't want harm to come to them a sense of mutual mutual receptivity you don't lie to them you develop that heart quality you don't want to deceive them or degrade them or abuse them dominate them Then, it says, recognize how this fundamental thing that most people will, will have, for their, at least for their children or their dear ones, where does it go wrong? It says, see the danger, see the danger, danger of sensuality, the ability to grab hold of things and own things, see the danger of it, see how it clutters your life up. See how it becomes obsessive. See how it becomes jealous, inquisitive, hungry, wanting more, absorbing, consuming, like a fire running across the planet, eating, 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 never satisfied, eating your life, Mm. taking what so there's inequality, poverty. Mm. See the danger. Having seen the danger, cultivate renunciation.
When you've done that, you're ready to penetrate the Four Noble Truths. You've shifted. You've understood how to lift from the sense world into the world of the heart. From the world where one is caught by sights and sounds and touches and thoughts to the realm of the heart where you you sense them. You sense their pull and their push. You don't buy it. Stay steady. You say the tendency to fight and quarrel. You stay steady. You cultivate the heart. This is where the whole territory of kindness and compassion comes from, doesn't it? Once we've developed that. And can this then also, this domain of heart, be a place that we return to, we never leave, we, we maintain as our refuge? And it's not so much an emotional base as the, the basis of that ethical sensitivity relational responsibility on self and others noticing how affected we are and how that handle it with care don't clutter it up then it will give you joy freshness wakefulness a treasure that never leaves you then you're ready to deeply penetrate. You have the right system to do it, and you have the intention and resolve to know what has to be guarded against. The sign of permanence, fixation, fascination, obsession, me, you, separate, guarded against. And this space easily settles in into this body with its breathing, settling in, putting aside the distractions, settling in, letting things deepen and steady. So let's take some time to continue our cultivation, if anything useful has arisen in this presentation, stay with that to make use of it.